Hello and welcome everybody. This is Dr. Tully for History 311. Today we're going to be talking about the Civil War. It's going to be a different way. We've uh, You've probably heard the Civil War done before. I'm not talking too much about the battles. Um, one thing, if you don't know me, you'll, you'll know now, I'm not the biggest fan of the Civil War. Um, it, well, I mean, no, nobody likes war. But it's like, you know, a historical topic or something to lecture about. I'm not the biggest, like, you know... You're probably used to history professors like, oh, let's talk about the Battle of Antietam. That's not me. However, there's a lot of stuff about the Civil War that you probably haven't heard too much about that we're really going to be talking about today. So just keep that in mind, and I'll be happy to do that. So why don't you go on and get your, uh, get your, uh, get your wee little PowerPoint going on. If you go on and click, you will see... Uh, you're going to see some black soldiers. You're going to see some black soldiers for the Union. Uh, the Union does have black soldiers. Uh, the Confederacy never really has black soldiers. We're going to talk about that at the very end. Uh, that's one of those long-lasting myths of the Civil War is uh, the idea of black Confederates. There really weren't any. Um, there really weren't in a, in a huge number. Go over one slide, you will see the reason why this whole war started was because of Lincoln, pretty much. Uh, Lincoln being... Uh, Elected president, uh, he was—he's <laughs> not the reason the war started, uh, as you as you will see. Uh, this war was going to start for quite a while now. However, the immediate cause of the war is Lincoln and Lincoln being elected president, and Lincoln's in a very weird position. All right, Lincoln's in a very weird position as president of the country during a time of warfare. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before that he is not like the the biggest like proponent of African Americans of this time period. He's not the Hugest opponent of slavery in this time period. He's a politician. And his big goal is he wants to keep the Union together. Everything else is secondary, all right? If it, was, if it could be done to preserve the Union, Lincoln was for it. Lincoln wanted the Union to stay together. He didn't really care how he did it. And able to get it in order to get it done, anything was on the table. This includes slavery. Um, there are four slave states in the Union. There are four slave states in the Union. You, you probably always heard that the Civil War was fought between those who wanted slavery and those that didn't want slavery. Not quite. Uh, there are four states that are remaining in the Union that have slaves being Kentucky, Maryland, Delaware, and Missouri. Uh, so Lincoln's kind of in a weird place because, you remember, his all of his rhetoric is, you know, I'm not against slavery. I want the Union to be together. You know, I'm okay with the United States having slavery. I would like slavery to go away eventually, but I have, I'm not going to go hard against slavery, as everybody at the Confederacy said he was going to. So if Lincoln goes too hard against slavery, if he's speaking too hard against slavery, those four border states might leave the Union and join the Confederacy. Okay, so I need you to realize that, you know, when Lincoln is doing all this stuff, there are some states of the Union that are for slavery, and he desperately needs them. Uh, he desperately needs them to stay in the Union, uh, basically to, like, prove that he's not this kind of radical who's trying to, like, get rid of slavery. And also, uh, just think about geography. Just think about geography real quick. Virginia had joined the, uh, the Confederacy, whereas Maryland had stayed in the Union. Hey, um... What's smack dab between Virginia and Maryland? It's called Washington, D.C. Uh, Lincoln knows that if Virginia, uh, sorry, if Maryland goes with the Confederacy, uh, he will have to, like, get out of D.C. immediately. In fact, that was one of the original plans of the Confederacy was to have the capital in Washington, D.C. because they assumed Maryland would go as well. Maryland did not, uh, mainly because Lincoln promised them he would not come hard against slavery. 
Now, the other thing you have to think about the Civil War is basically getting people to fight in the Civil War is kind of hard. Uh, for the South, they're like, oh, we're going to protect our, you know, our lands uh, from the, the foreign invaders. <laughs> the foreign invaders, uh, you know, those, those damn Yankees coming in to take our stuff. Uh, getting people to join in the North was a bit harder. Remember, it wasn't like the majority of the North was hooray for black people or we need to get rid of slavery. They merely didn't care. And so Lincoln calls for 75,000 volunteers to make up the, the army. Uh, nothing really comes of that. Nothing really comes of it. I mean, he tries to get volunteers. They start trying to promise money and things like that to people to do it. But one group who is more than ready to volunteer, you know, despite the compensation or lack of compensation, are African-American soldiers. Um, African-American soldiers, they ask for, um, basically, they, they, they ask to, you know, to join the, the military. Uh, Lincoln does not want this, all right? Lincoln doesn't want this. He says, black volunteers, uh, we're not going to allow them, mainly because he does not want to be seen as a race war. You remember, he's, he's really trying to appease the Southern planters, uh, the Confederacy, trying to make them say, hey, I'm not a bad guy, I'm not a mean guy. And so he doesn't like the uh, the optics of black soldiers. Also, he's like, it might also inflame the North. Remember, because the North is not exactly hooray for black people. So there, th there was a real fear for Lincoln and his followers that maybe, um, you know, having black soldiers would inflame kind of racist tensions within the North. Now, for African-Americans, they really felt that um, a Union victory would mean an end of slavery. Uh, particularly free black people in the North, um, not, not so much the slaves in the South, because they were convinced that no matter what happened, they'd kind of be screwed over. Uh, spoiler alert, they kind of were. So uh, since, you know, these black people were barred from enlisting, some of them started to drill on their own, but uh, the Union still didn't want them. Like, even they start, like, you know, un uh, start drilling on their own, kind of demoralizing since the war was, like, pretty much all about them. So a lot of, you know, Anglo-African newspapers, like, they start saying, like, hey, maybe we can join the war. Um, they don't really go along with it. Now, the other complicated thing about the war, once it gets started, is that the Union really has no consistent policy as to what to do with Confederate slaves. Early on, the Union, you know, after they have their little battles, you know, they, they burn a plantation or whatever, they find the slaves... And the Union Army actually has no consistent policy. There's no single policy about what to do with a slave that you find on the battlefield. And so in general, oh God, I shouldn't have said in general, but generals got to pick their own. Pretty much Union generals kind of got to pick their own policy. And weirdly enough, most of these generals viewed slaves as property and were more sympathetic toward the owners of slaves for, quote, the loss of property. Uh, this depends on the various generals, of course. This depends on the various generals. For instance, U.S. Grant. Uh, Grant would return slaves if the owner supported the Union, but put them to work if the owner supported the succession. Uh, very little agency for the slaves. Basically, the slaves were pretty much what their worth was, was dependent upon their masters. And I should mention, all throughout the South, you do have Unionist slaveholders. Uh, that's another thing you might not have realized about the Civil War. Not everybody who owned slaves was for the Confederacy. In fact, a lot of them weren't. Weirdly enough, some of the bigger slaveholders weren't because they had, like, really big contracts with the federal government and stuff. Now, probably the most interesting one of these is General Butler. General, General Benler, Benjamin Butler declares slaves, quote-unquote, contraband. All right, he says basically, hey, 
Ownership doesn't apply because the Confederacy left the Union. And uh, basically, he says, I'm not going to return slaves. He's like, this is like war booty. This is like, you know, contraband. This is stuff we got from the enemy. We should not return them to the enemy, even if their masters do support uh, the Union. He says, we should put them to work. All right. Pretty much he says, look, if we capture a slave, we have labor that needs to be done around the unions, you know, around the army. Uh, they could, you know, cook food or do chores or dig latrines or dig ditches, whatever. We need people to do that labor. Um, we got slaves that we're capturing from uh, various places. We're just going to consider them contraband. We're not going to return them to their masters. Uh, basically, this caused a ton of slaves to, free, to flee to Butler. Uh, tons of slaves, even if their masters weren't under any immediate like attack from the Union, they start running to Butler being like, oh my God, we're free. We're free. And the Union actually passes an act uh, basically mandating that slaves aren't returned to their masters, but only if they're going to be used for the war effort. Basically, it's like, we're not a humanitarian thing. We're not really going to try to help these people out. Uh, we will use slaves if they're good for labor, but if they're not good for labor, they are going to go back to their masters. Now, this upsets a lot of people, uh, particularly in the North, particularly like black people and abolitionists who think, hey, maybe this Lincoln guy is going to help us. Uh, no. Pretty much Lincoln being like, hey, we're going to return slaves and not allow black soldiers really upsets a lot of people. There is a lot of disillusionment with Lincoln during this time period. Uh, there's a lot of disillusionment of Lincoln during this time period. Also, another one, another thing that kind of upset people, if you go one more, is what happened with General Hunter. Uh, general Hunter's a Union general. He gets to South Carolina around the Sea Islands, you know, where the Gullah and stuff are. And basically, he's like, hey, guess what? Uh, I am outlawing slavery. Period. Period. He's like, General Hunter's like, I'm outlawing slavery. I'm outlawing slavery in the Sea Islands. Um, he actually starts trying to overturn the uh, plantations, giving them to the slaves themselves. He's like, you know what? You know, these guys are jerks at South Carolina. Remember, Stark Carolina, South Carolina started the entire war in the first place. And Hunter's like, these dudes are assholes. I'm going to take away their land, give it to their slaves. The slaves are probably going to be grateful for us, and they're going to keep things together. So you know what? Screw you, Confederates. We're going to do this. Lincoln actually revokes this order. So I just want you to consider the optics. You know, Lincoln, he's not the great, great emancipator at first. And he's trying to do everything he can not to upset the South, to show that he's a good guy who's okay with slavery. He just wants to keep the Union together. Doesn't matter what the cost. And he's pissing everybody off. As you can see, if you go over two more, talk about Lincoln's initial moves. Lincoln actually starts out supporting compensation emancipation, uh, followed by colonization. I'll repeat that. Lincoln wants compensated emancipation, followed by colonization. He doesn't want black people to hang around the United States. He doesn't like slavery. He, want them, he wants them to go away. And he, the reason he does that is because he still has to contend with the slave states still in the Union. Places like Maryland, places like Delaware, places like uh, Kentucky and Missouri. Uh, they have their doubts either whether or not Lincoln could be trusted. He's trying to do what he can. He's trying to do what he can to get this uh, going together. Now, black folks told that they couldn't trust him. He's being wishy-washy about it. It's like, look, are you for us or against us? You say you're for the end of slavery, but you're returning slaves to their masters, and you're not allowing black people to be soldiers. Are you just another, you know, white guy who claims you're for us, but you're not? 
And he's really not linking a union victory towards abolition. He's not saying, hey, if the union wins this war, we're going to get rid of slavery. Now that does change. Lincoln does move towards emancipation, mainly as a morale move. All right, mainly as a morale move. He says by freeing the slaves, maybe it could hasten the end of the war. Now that sounds weird, but he's like, basically, he's trying to convince everybody that, look, I want to end the war. I want to end the war quickly. If we just free the slaves, maybe the war is going to end faster. And his cabinet is supportive of this, but they tell him to wait. Particularly Seward tells uh, Lincoln to wait for a couple things, uh, mainly for a union victory. Uh, mainly for a union victory. Basically, is there once there's a major union victory, uh, maybe there is going to be you know a little bit more strength coming from it. Um, you have to remember at the beginning of the Civil War, the Union doesn't look like it's going to win that handily. I-, I should mention this. This is something that is not on the slides, but I feel I owe it to you to tell. Um, I'm sure you've heard plenty of things like alternative histories about what if the South had won the war. Okay, you ready for this? There is no way in hell the South could have won the war. The only thing the South had going for it was basically it's like, we want to fight a defensive war. So basically, you know, they're going to have to invade us. We don't think morale's ever going to be very high in the Union to try to invade us, which they were right about. The only prayer they had of maybe possibly getting a victory, make the war go on for a long time, let there be loss of life, and get support specifically from France or definitely England. Remember, England is our big trading partner. They say if England will support our legitimacy, say that we're a free, independent country, we might actually have a chance of not winning the war, but like becoming free. I think everybody in the South knew if there's going to be a long-term war with the Union, they have no prayer whatsoever of winning. Their only hope is basically make the war go on a long time and the Union's going to lose interest. Um, Kind of a Viet Cong strategy in the Vietnam War, except the Vietnam War had a very different uh, ending than the Civil War. But we're starting to get out that maybe Lincoln is going to start making a move. Maybe Lincoln is going to start making a move, you know, but then he doesn't. He doesn't do it. You know, he's like, okay, I'm going to wait for a more opportune time. Uh, Montgomery Blair is like, look, you know, the midterm elections are coming up. Uh, we might get skewered for this. We, we might be like totally ripped up for this. So maybe we shouldn't do that. Uh, and Lincoln once iterates once again that he cares very little about slavery or black people, but he's like, I will do whatever it takes to end the war. To end the war and to preserve the Union, I will do whatever. So at first he's saying, you know, I'm cool with slavery. Now he's saying, I will, you know, get rid of slavery, that type of thing. But he's still committed to colonization. If you go over one more slide, Lincoln is still very committed to colonization, uh, maybe in Latin America, he's not really talking too much about Liberia or Haiti. Um, those had kind of already happened. Uh, Liberia was, eh, Liberia still exists, but it wasn't the strongest that they would have hoped. Haiti was just an experiment that did not work. Uh, Lincoln's like maybe Latin America, maybe like Belize or Bolivia or somewhere in Latin America. Uh, his main argument is that black people have been so hurt by racism in the United States. There's no, they would ever have no way they would ever have equality. Uh, That's an interesting point maybe we can talk about in class. But basically, Lincoln is saying, look, there's no place for black people in the United States, not because they're not equal, but because we have so many hundreds of years of discrimination and, you know, wrongs against black people. There's never going to become equal in the United States. 
And he doesn't, he doesn't put this up. He doesn't really let up on this. He tries to invite black leaders to come to the White House to ask for support of colonization. Uh, most black people are not interested in this. Likewise, he attempts to pay masters to free their slaves and pay for passage to like some other land. That doesn't go well at all either. There is really no interest. And so it becomes pretty clear colonization isn't going to help. What does happen, though, is the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation uh, issued after the Battle of Antietam. Uh, the Battle of Antietam is a big Union victory, and basically it gives the Confederacy 100 days to... to uh, let me repeat that. It's a threat, all right? It's a threat. It's almost a ransom note. It says, Confederacy, you have 100 days to rejoin the Union, or else we're going to free all your slaves. So the states that come back to the Union, you get to keep your slaves. Other states, if you stay out of the Union, your slaves are going to be freed. Um, you know, it really says nothing about slaves in the Union. It says nothing about slaves in a place like Maryland or Kentucky or Missouri or whatever. Uh, really a, a tactic designed to hurt morale. There's no real evidence that he me meant this seriously. Uh, there's really no evidence that he meant this seriously. And he also hoped that Union people would realize slaves would be freed and accept the consequences of it, but not be so accepting as to upset a place like Maryland, which has tons of slaves, and is not too happy about this idea of maybe slavery becoming, um, you know, outlawed in the United States. Now, the reaction to this uh, uh, initial Emancipation Proclamation, uh, abolitionists are, are kind of happy because he sort of made a stand. you got to remember, uh, Lincoln is a politician, um, they're, they're not too happy about it. Um, a lot of soldiers are upset. A lot of soldiers are very upset. Uh, they felt it brought black people into the conflict. Remember, that's something they tried to keep out of the conflict at first was this whole black people thing. And also, a lot of these soldiers are racist. They think that black people are inferior. There's also riots throughout New York uh, just after the draft riots. Uh, if you've never heard of the New York draft riots, ask me about it in class. Um... There's some riots in New York which are targeting black people, free black people, black people who've never been slaves, and they really, uh, it's really bad anti-black violence in New York. Uh, most Northern Democrats oppose this Emancipation Proclamation. There are some Northern Democrats, even though most Northern, sorry, even though most Democrats are Southern, there are some Northern Democrats, and all of them denounce Lincoln and the Republicans. Uh, most black people were gratified, but a lot of them were like, he's still half-assing it. He's still half-assing it. There's a lot of issues we have with it. Now, like I said, uh, the Northern Democrats, they saw a lot of federal overreach with that. Uh, Republicans worried about the backlash and that uh, violence would arise. And I shall mention that Democrats make huge strides in various states during the midterm elections uh, because of this proclamation and dissatisfaction with it. Black people, are, however, they liked it. They saw it as a new promise. And the big thing it does is it really changes the war goals, all right? The initial goal of the Civil War for the North was kind of wishy-washy. They didn't have anything that they are really for. It's like, we don't, want the we don't want the states to leave, but we're not really crazy about slavery. We're not really crazy about black people. Uh, for the South, it was always, we want to keep slavery. We want to keep slavery was always the reason for the war for the South, for the Confederacy. For the North, it was a little bit more... Yeah, it was a little bit more uh, wishy-washy about it. Now it's a war to end slavery. This adds a moral component to the war, which is something that kind of needed. 
even though it's a problematic moral component, uh, judging by the reaction of everybody, there's still a moral reason for the war. Now, the Emancipation Proclamation does have some limits, okay? It does have some limits. Uh, the language is pretty boring. It's pretty boilerplate. It's in legalese. Uh, the main thing is that it said nothing about states that were still in the Union and those slaves or those in occupied territory. That's another thing. Uh, there are huge parts of the Confederacy that are under occupation by the Union. Uh, how about Louisiana? Uh, pretty much all of New Orleans is taken out almost immediately as soon as the Civil War begins. Uh, Baton Rouge shortly thereafter. Uh, yeah, Louisiana is pretty much occupied almost immediately in the Civil War. Yes, there's some stuff in the north around Streetport and Junk, but like, important Louisiana? Don't at me, anybody from North Louisiana. But you know, Mississippi River, Louisiana, that was taken out almost immediately. It was occupied. Doesn't say anything about those slaves. Uh, likewise, um, no Confederate state honored it. Remember, he's saying basically like, hey, slave states, you're not a part of, you know, co Confederate states, you have to abide by this, and no Confederate state was going to honor it. Um, and, you know, still, it does inspire a lot of slaves to free themselves, and it does change the moral tone of the war. All right. Um, now, the other effect of the Emancipation Proclamation is, number one, the South was never going to get recognition or support from England or France. Uh, those countries had already outlawed slavery. Uh, by making this something that's about, hey, you know, the South is for preserving slavery, uh, the South, by coming against that, is basically saying we want to keep slavery, which is something that England and France don't like. It also really lessens Southern morale, uh, makes slaves a lot less likely to work for their masters as word of the proclamation came out. Uh, that's something you do have is basically various slaves being like, you know what? Screw this. I'm not working anymore. Uh, you know, proclamation's done. I'm getting out of there. Also, I should mention this. It is unlikely that the Union would have survived as a semi-free, semi-slave country when the Union won. Remember, the Union winning was inevitable. I'm not 100% sure about that one. Uh, your textbook's author is really consistent about that. I don't believe that. Uh, the country, I think it would have ended slavery eventually, but I don't think it would have caused the country to collapse. But anyway. Now, another part of the Emancipation Proclamation, part of the whole thing, is that black people are now being allowed to enlist in the military, uh, mainly because the Union needed troops. Um, as the war went on and on and people died and morale was never that high on the white side, um, they just needed manpower. And so all of a sudden, the Union is like, look, we need troops. Only in combat roles and not as officers. That's something that's going to be an issue for African Americans in the military, uh, God, pretty much until Korea? Korean War? Vietnam War? Uh, you'd have black combat troops, but they would always be led by a white officer. Uh, there was a lot of racism involved with that. Basically, they didn't believe that um, black people were mentally capable of being officers. They didn't think they were intelligent enough to do that. Um, a lot of racism. A lot of racism. Um, if you're just new to this class, <laughs> there's a lot of racism in U.S. history. Now, this was a very problematic effort, uh, not very well supported by the average Union citizen. Most Union people did not like this. And Lincoln was actually kind of worried about the backlash. He was like, eh, let's not do these. 
Uh, let's not do this. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get them not really upset about this. Now, the first group that ever happened to this is General Hunter. Uh, this is Whale before... Whale? Whale. I just got an accent. Sorry. Well, well before the Emancipation Proclamation. It's the first South Carolina Volunteers. Uh, these are Sea Island people. You know, these are the Gullah people. This is back when uh, Hunter, early on in the war, uh, outlawed all slavery before Lincoln uh, revoked his order. Uh, basically, he's like, basically, he's using white men to force black people to volunteer, but actually some volunteer as well because they're like, hey, this is great. You know, we want to fight. Uh, Congress never authorized this. The troops were dispersed after this and they were never paid. Also, there's a lot of issues by impressing slaves to fight. There's a lot of issues by impressing slave to fight. Um, Im impressment is basically where you force somebody to fight. It was some, it was a big issue in the War of 1812. It's also an issue for Union troops who never have that many, sorry, Union officers who never have that many troops to try to get more people to fight. They try to force slaves to fight. Um a lot of issues with morale and desertion. Uh, a lot of a lot of issues with morale and desertion. But then again, there's a lot of issues with morale and desertion for the white soldiers as well. Now, the second South Carolina Volunteer Force. Um, once again, it's it's another iffy. It's another iffy thing. Another very iffy thing. Uh, James Montgomery does this. He he is the one who leads the. Um, the South, second, uh, second South Carolina Volunteers. He's an abolitionist. He's actually a member of the Secret Six, the guys who uh, financially supported John Brown. He wanted to be radical and get rid of all traces of, slatter, of slavery. Uh, he found that it was very hard to get black troops to volunteer. He found it was very hard to get black troops to volunteer. Uh, but in time, he discovered that they were less likely to desert once they were uh, once they joined. Now, the other one is the Louisiana Native Guard. Louisiana Native Guard, all right? At first, this was free people of color to support the slavery, uh, support the Confederacy. Support the slavery. Yeah, the Confederacy. Uh, they were barred. Uh, pretty much, this starts out, Louisiana Native Guard is free black people who want to support the Confederacy. Uh, the Confederacy says, hell no, we're white supremacists, so no thank you. Uh, once the Union takes over New Orleans, about two seconds into the Civil War, it's reinstated. Uh, this uh, this one is unique because it does allow for black officers. It does allow for black officers, which is unusual. However, most of this was taken away once they integrated into the U.S. Army. Uh, the Louisiana Native Guard started out as kind of its own thing around New Orleans. They had black officers. Once they got integrated into the U.S. military, they got rid of the black officers. Um, they had a lot of action, primarily at Port Hudson. Port Hudson is one of the longer battles in the Civil War. It's right outside of Baton Rouge. It was more of a siege than anything else. Uh, near Baton Rouge, Port Hudson. Uh, the Louisiana Native Guard has a lot of action there. But uh, they're, they're not very well respected. Uh, for instance, during the various truces that were done during Port Hudson, which was a siege. And by the way, you should realize, during the Civil War, they weren't just fighting all the time, like... There was elements of like, hey, it's a truce or it's night or we're not fighting right now. So, you know, we're going to talk to each other and stuff. Uh, it was fairly common to have truces to gather your dead. That's probably the most common one is basically gather your dead, give them proper burials or see if they're sick or something. Uh, the Louisiana Native Guard bodies were generally not included in this. The, the bodies of the Louisiana Native Guard were not included in this. So even amongst the Union soldiers, uh, they're not viewed as equals, even in death. Now, the most famous of these regiments is the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. Uh, this is the most famous one. This is the most famous one. 
Uh, it's a it's all free people of color. Uh, they come from the north, primarily around Boston, primarily around Boston. Uh, the guy who commands it is Robert Goldshaw. Robert Goldshaw, he's a Harvard graduate. He commands it. Um, they, you know, they, they, if you ever seen the movie Glory, which you've probably never seen because it came out long before you were born, but it's one of Denzel Washington's first movies. Uh, this is what it, Glory is about. Glory is about the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. Uh, they they fight with a lot of morale. It's kind of a morale boost, uh, particularly because these are people who actually do want to fight. Morale is always an issue in the Civil War. Now, black troops face tons of discrimination, all right? Tons of discrimination. Even in the Union, even though the Union is saying, hey, we're fighting against slavery, even though some of these people might be former slaves, they're like, hey, I want to fight to free my family or whatever, they are treated like dirt. There is loads of discrimination. Uh, for instance, uh, let's see, the white officers are often racist. If you haven't realized that everybody in the U.S. was racist, not everybody in the U.S. is racist, but a hell of a lot of people in the U.S. were racist, regardless of geography, you now learned. Um, they often were not given combat service. Uh, combat service is something that most people want to serve in because you generally get higher pay, uh, more of a chance of glory, you know, say, say that you're, you know, a true believer in your cause. Uh, they're mainly asked to do grunt work. Uh, they're mainly asked to do grunt work, like, you know, digging ditches, the unsexy jobs, the unsexy jobs, you know, the ones where you're peeling potatoes, you're not really fighting for your freedom. There's also a lot of issues with pay. A lot of issues with pay. Uh, the pay scale was lower for black soldiers as opposed to white soldiers. As you can see right there, white privates got $13 a month, black privates got four, uh, $10 a month. Uh, that's when they get paid. That's many, that's when they get paid. That's when they get paid. Now, there was a compromise. There was a compromise that was given by Congress, which basically said, basically, uh, black and white troops have to get equal pay. Um, but it's only for black men who had never been slaves, which wasn't everybody. It's a, it's a really, really bad, bad compromise. Uh, however, when it comes to actually the combat, when it comes to... Uh, to combat, uh, black men, when they do get a chance to fight, they're usually given frontline work where it's like, it's not a sexy job. It's like, you're going to die, die job. It's a cannon fodder, uh, a lot more dangerous jobs. Uh, Confederates are also way more likely to target black soldiers. Uh, Confederates thought that the black soldiers were in a front. They thought it was like an insult to have a black soldier fight against you if, as a white man. And so the Confederates were more likely to target black soldiers and, after, after the battle, black soldiers were less likely to get medical care. Uh, generally, they would go for the white soldiers first. Now, there are various ones you don't need to know about. I'm not going to talk about Honey Springs or uh, the Island, Island Mountain. You might want to know about Battery Wagner. It's from Glory. Uh, basically, this is in South Carolina near Fort Sumner. Uh, basically, it's an assault by the 54th Regiment, that black unit we talked about. Uh, Shaw dies, a lot of the members of the group die, but it gets them a lot of glory and fame as they're remembered as being quite brave. Now, the thing that really changes everything is, um, that'd be Order 11. Order 11, General Order 11, really changes morale. Uh, basically, Lincoln and the Union is not very happy about, um, what Sidon, who was a Confederate Secretary of War, had done. He says basically, hey, we're, if you capture a black troop, uh, don't hold on to them, don't make them a prisoner of war, just kill them. 
there are rules to warfare. And one of them is like, if you get a prisoner of war, you treat them nicely. You, you treat them nicely. That's something you're supposed to do as a, you know, if you get a prisoner of war, treat them nicely. If they need medical care, get them. Mainly because you're going to trade them for your own guys. Mainly you're going to trade them for your own guys. That's something that happens in any war ever is you swap prisoners from time to time. You want to treat your prisoners of war very nicely. It's a, well, Geneva Convention's not around right now, but it's kind of a rule of warfare. Uh, but Sutton says, no, just kill them. If you capture a black troop, just kill them. This pisses off Lincoln, who issues Order 11, which says basically, hey, uh, we're going to execute or do hard labor for every Confederate troop prisoner of war we have for every um, black troop you kill. That sounds confusing. Let me explain it better. For every one black person killed, Lincoln said, we're going to kill one Confederate soldier. If you want to put them back into hard labor, we're going to put your white guys into hard labor. Uh, it is equating black and white lives for the first time. And this really upsets the South. Like, I know Lincoln is trying to do with, um, you know, he doesn't want to get soldiers killed. But um, he's really pissing off the South with this one. Really pisses off the South. Uh, for instance, those who did survive for the 54th Massachusetts, uh, they were treated as rebellious slaves, not as free people of color. And now we're going to get to the worst atrocity of the entire war, the, fel the Fort Pillow Massacre. Uh, the Fort Pillow Massacre was right outside of Memphis, right outside of Memphis. Uh, this is the worst atrocity of the war. <clears throat> Basically, Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, know the name, he's one of the worst people in U.S. history, uh, a former slave trader in Memphis turned Confederate officer. He captures a whole bunch of black POWs. He captures a whole bunch of black POWs. This is after General Order 11. By the way, Seaton said after this, basically, don't kill black Union troops because they're going to kill our guys. However, Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, he's so racist and white supremacist. Uh, he takes these soldiers who had already surrendered, a whole bunch of them, and kills them. Kills them against all order and niceties and rules of warfare. I know rules of warfare sounds like an oxymoron, but he's like, Forrest is like, no, I'm not abiding by this. I'm going to kill black soldiers. Doesn't matter. He is um, hailed as a hero for the Confederacy. In fact, his name becomes like idolized throughout the Confederacy. Uh, there are counties named after him. There's a Forest County, Mississippi, uh, which is where Hattiesburg is. That is 100% named after Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. And also, the reason you're going to get to know him a lot better is because he later becomes the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. The original founders of the Klan want Nathaniel Bedford Forrest to join their organization because he's seen as a bona fide hates black people person. Now, black troops do get some revenge themselves, but still, it's, 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 a, it's a pretty bad, nasty thing. Uh, black men in the Navy. There is a very long history of black people uh, being in the Navy since the 1790s. It's integrated with a big-ass, um, not exclamation point, asterisk. Uh, it is integrated, quote-unquote, in terms of stevedores. Um, basically, you are going to have black and white people on the same ship, but they would not get um, certain jobs, all right? They would not get certain jobs within the Navy, uh, basically, the, the Navy job of stevedore was about 100% black. 
Uh, stevedores are like longshoremen. They're the ones who like take things on and off of ships. You need them just for the Navy. Also, cooks and things are also generally black. So you do have a tradition of black people sitting in the Navy. Uh, still, they do have a quite a bit of discrimination. They're not really given like full sailor positions. They could never captain a boat, things like that. Also, black people serve in the Union military as liberators, spies, and guides. A lot of spies, things like that. Uh, probably the best one is Robert Smalls. Robert Smalls is freaking amazing. Why there isn't a movie about this dude, I will never know. But basically, Robert Smalls, he, he's a slave. He captures a, uh, a boat called the Planter, which is a Confederate ship. Gets rid of all the Confederates. He liberates himself, 15 others, including his kids and wife. And he comes back with a code book, basically, that has all the Confederate codes on it. He later becomes a congressman. He later becomes a congressman. Uh, likewise, Harriet Tubman has her own uh, spy ring. Frees about 800 slaves. She's kicking ass as well. And even White House servants were working as this. Even White House servants were working as this. Now, there is violent opposition to black people. Uh, probably the most infamous is the New York City draft riot. Still one of the biggest riots in U.S. history. Uh, basically, the Irish, who hate black people for a crap ton of reasons I don't have time to get into right now. But just know that black people do, sorry, Irish people do not like black people, mainly for job competition, things like that. Uh, basically, they come about and they start not wanting to be drafted. Remember, morale was always kind of low for the Union, and they always had problems like getting people to fight for them. And so they pass a draft. They pass a draft, which is very unpopular, because it was viewed as skewed towards rich people. Basically, if your draft number came up and you were rich, you could pay money and not be drafted. Or you could send somebody in your stead and not be drafted. So basically, you could buy your way out of the draft because wars cost money. And the union's like, look, we need money, so we'd rather we'd ra would have your body or your money and whichever is fine by us. Problem is, Irish people in this time period don't have a lot of money. And they don't really want to die in a war for their competitors, all right? Remember, there's a lot of job competition between the Irish and black people. And the Irish are like, look, these are the people who, like, take our jobs. Uh, for instance, black men had replaced some Irish stevedores in June of 1963. The whole, you know, exemption thing was pissing people off. So as a result, there's a four-day riot that lasts for four days, uh, were pretty much the Irish burn things. They burn churches. They destroy the black children's uh, orphan asylum. Black-owned businesses. Any Republican houses. Any abolitionists. They start burning things. And the Union Army is brought in to try to keep the peace. So as I've said a million times, it's not exactly... And this is in New York City that's being very racist towards black people. So don't think any place in the country is like great for black people during the Civil War. Now, the Confederacy has got a very interesting uh, stance with black people, all right? Black people are involved in the Confederacy, not in the way you might think. Um, actually, at first, the Confederacy thought slaves would be a boon to them. They said, basically, hey, the number of slaves are going to help the Southern War effort. Um, you know, whereas in the North, all the, you know, all the workers and all the uh, industrial workers are going to, like, you know, they're going to the ones who are going to have to go to war. Uh, the, the thought was that the Southern economy would keep fighting. You know, would keep on going. Uh, you know, the slaves would keep toiling in the fields, whereas the union, uh, union workers would have to go to fight. That 
didn't happen, really. Uh, still, the Confederacy does benefit from black people in things like fields, factories, and actually allows more white men to serve in the military, whereas in the North you have an issue with um, you know, trying to get morale and get people to fight. Now, the one thing the South really lags behind the North in is industry. Um, the South doesn't really have like a ton of ironworks. They don't really have a ton of ironworks. Uh, something you definitely need in war is iron and you know steel. Well, they don't have steel quite yet. Yeah, they have some primitive steel. Sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, you know, people to make uh, guns and things like that. South doesn't have a ton of it. So um, some start coming up mainly around Richmond that do use slave labor. They use slave labor. The problem is it's in Richmond. And Richmond is the capital of the Confederacy, but it's also very close to the Union. And also, most of the Civil War, most of the battles are between Richmond and Washington, D.C. So... There are some factories and stuff, but they're very obvious, easy targets for the Union during that time. Now, the Confederacy needs workers. Uh, as the war goes on, the Confederacy needs more manpower. And so they start trying to force slave masters into giving over their slaves for war industries. That does not go over very well. Uh, basically, the South needs more labor for the war machines. And they are like, hey, slave masters... Uh, we want your slaves. We're going to ask you at first. This was, by the way, this is going to be uncompensated. They said, you know, for the war effort, let us borrow your slaves. Borrow in, pro, you know, quotation marks. Let us borrow your slaves. And then you will, you know, will win the war effort. And you're being a good Confederate citizen. Uh, when people don't start doing that for obvious reasons, then the government starts mandating it. That doesn't go over very well at all. Remember, one of the reasons why the South left this, the Union is because they said it was uh, overly uh, oppressive, trying to interfere with individual freedoms. And now the new government, based on individual freedoms, is trying to get rid of their in private property. This is messed up even more by the so-called 20 Negro Law, which pretty much says rich dudes, people who own more than 20 slaves, were exempt from the draft. Um, this really upset the poor minority because they're like, hey, we're fighting this war to preserve your right to keep slaves, and you're not even going to fight in this war. Uh, they tried to justify that by saying, oh, by owning 20 slaves, they're very rich, and you know they, they're used for the war effort, and they should probably let us use some of their slaves anyway for the war effort. It gets kind of messed up. So to help up with this, uh, Confederates start trying to enslave free black people as they fight. Um... Basically, after the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederacy, says, all right, screw you, Lincoln. Uh, any free black people we come across, we're going to enslave them. Uh, order the capture and enslavement of free African-Americans in the North. Uh, for instance, right around Gettysburg. Gettysburg's in Pennsylvania. That's Robert E. Lee's one real push into the, uh, to the Union. Uh, he starts capturing a whole ton of black soldiers in Pennsylvania to be his slaves. Um, not really done very much, I should mention. I should not really, I'm not going to try to give you a false impression and say that this happened all the time. It's more of a psychological tool. It's a psychological tool. Speaking of people, there aren't a lot of black Confederates. Uh, there are not a ton of black Confederates. Um, a lot of free black people in the South are kind of wary of the Confederacy. Once the Confederacy and all the various states started saying, we are affirming white supremacy. We are all about the supremacy of the white person over the Negro. Uh, the reason they're doing that, 
kind of appealing to white supremacy instead of slavery is remember most people in the confederacy do not own slaves and so to try to keep everybody together they start making appeals to white supremacy this does not really appeal to the various black persons free black people even free black people who have slaves even some who might have confederate sympathies they're like oh y'all don't want us uh, there may be some in New Orleans that really volunteer outside of the Native Guard. Uh, the records are very poor. Um, you know, some white people do volunteer services. Uh, they want to show their loyalty. Also, some of them are afraid that if we don't fight in the Confederacy, maybe they'll re-enslave us. Uh, in general, though, Southern leaders do kind of reject these offers. They ignore it. They feel they don't need it. Uh, they might accept offers for, like, very basic things, maybe some funding, things like that. Here's what we do know, though. Uh, the Confederate military was, like, 100% white in terms of combat roles. But if you go over one slide, you will see that some affluent white people, like some, like, children of slaveholders and stuff who went off to fight, because that was part of it was this whole cavalier, you know, show your bravery in battle, they brought what was known as body servants, all right? Body servants. The Confederate military in combat roles is all white. It is 100% white. Uh, there are body servants. Body servants are pretty much like aides to individual soldiers. Um, in the military, especially for like upper-end soldiers, like officers and junk, you always have aides that do stuff for you. Uh, if you're a wealthy planter, or the more than likely the son of a wealthy planter, you might have a body servant with you. Uh, they pretty much did whatever job was needed. Things like cooking, cleaning, uh, you know, dealing with the horses, cleaning your weapons, things like that. Maybe, you know, play the fiddle or something at night. Uh, not too, too much of this. Now, when things do get desperate, kind of near the end of it, kind of near the end, um... Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about black opposition to the Confederacy. Um, spoiler alert, there was a crap ton of black opposition to the Confederacy. Uh, it should not surprise you that most black people don't like the Confederacy. Uh, most free black people, uh, most slaves, if they have the chance to talk, they're not exactly um, keen on this. Whenever uh, some slaves are told that, hey, slaves are going to fight for their masters, uh, basically a slave named Tom said, quote, um, I know they say things, but they lie. Basically saying like, you know, just put our guns in our hands. And as soon as you see that, we know how to shoot and who to shoot. My master, my master is not going to be around much longer if I was a soldier. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> exhibit a, why the Confederacy is not keen on arming slaves, even though they had armed slaves that have a lot more armed people. But, uh, there was the fear that these slaves would fire upon their masters and most slaves are not keen on the Confederacy because they're not keen on being slaves. Now, as the things get desperate, as we get into 1964, 1964, 1865, the South is going is looking like it's going to lose. Spoiler, they do lose the war. If you don't know the South loses the Civil War, I pity you, but they do. Uh, basically, the Southerners are like, maybe we should arm black people. Maybe we should arm black people. Um... General Cleburne offers that kind of early. Uh, Jefferson Davis says, no, we should not do that. We should not do that. Um, Cleburne even says, maybe we can promise slaves their freedom if they fight for the Confederacy. Davis also says that is a bad idea. 
Uh, this really pisses off most Southerners. Most Southerners, they say that uh, trying to, uh, you know, enli- uh, arm slaves is, is appalling. It's horrible. Uh, it it kind of defies the Southern assumptions of like slaves and all these things. Um, in addition, in addition, I should mention this, uh, kind of near the end of the Civil War, the Confederacy says, you know what? We're going to outlaw slavery. We're going to outlaw slavery, which once again pisses off everybody. The Confederacy, uh, that's like a week before they surrender, though. That's like a week. So don't think it's a long time thing in the Confederacy. Uh, in March of 1865, the South says, okay, the Confederate Congress says, look, we're going to enlist 300,000 black men promising them the same pay and freedom. Uh, slaves would be able to do only with the consent of their owners. That was the compromise they made told slaveholders. Um, very few black people are recruited. Uh, the book says some of them fight. Uh, according to my research, none of them fought. Um, the war was nearly over. This was just a desperation move. It wasn't going to happen. In conclusion, in conclusion, the Civil War ends with the defeat of the Confederacy. Over the course of the war, you have about 200,000 black soldiers and sailors that serve in the Union in some form or fashion. Most of these people are former slaves. I know the 54th Massachusetts gets a lot of attention. Uh, they're unique in that they're free people. Most of these people who do fight are former slaves. And about 40,000 of them die of combat or disease during the war. That's about eh, one-fifth. One-fifth. Um, these soldiers do fight. They fight very well. As we're going to discover in Reconstruction, they don't get treated equally. Uh, spoiler, especially in terms of their pensions. Uh, their pensions are often not the same, or the U.S. military figures out way to deny them. Uh, black Confederate soldiers? None? Uh, in all seriousness, maybe a few around New Orleans as part of the Native Guard early on, uh, before it got you know overtaken by the Union, the new the Native Guard came around. Um Maybe one or two black soldiers served at like the final battles of the Civil War after March 65, but uh, it's not a huge number, all right? Uh, there's a very long mythology of the black Confederate, and we're going to talk about that in class. We're going to talk about that in class quite a bit. Why are people so invested in this idea of the black Confederacy, or basically you know, this idea that maybe the South wasn't racist? Uh, we'll talk about that. The thing I do want you to focus upon more is Lincoln. Lincoln represents a shift in public attitudes towards African-Americans. In fact, Lincoln over the war kind of does a 180 in terms of what he feels about African-Americans. At the beginning of the war, he is insistent this is for white people. The country is only for white people. He's not for equality. Uh, He's for emancipation that's gradual and compensated. He is for um, colonization, sending them to like Latin America or something. However, as the, as the war went on, Lincoln's like, you know what? We need soldiers. Black soldiers were due. And by the end of the war, he actually is having appreciation for African-Americans and is talking more about equality. He's, he's, he's like, you know what? Maybe these people are great. Maybe these people have a place in here. Uh, he appreciates the devotion of the black troops, particularly because white troops, it was very hard to have good morale. Uh, the black troops generally had better morale even though they were treated very poorly by the Northerners and Southerners. And like I said, by the end of the war, uh, Lincoln is quite appreciative of black efforts. And had Lincoln had lived, um, maybe things might have been different. Unlikely, because it's, it's a big country. He's just one dude. But 
Yeah. Uh, so that is the Civil War. That's probably the Civil War. Like, you've never heard it done before. But, uh, eh. Like I said, hopefully you learned a little bit more stuff. Hopefully you uh, understand a bit more about the Civil War. And, uh, yeah, I th- hope we have a good one. All right. I will talk to you all later.